it's great to be with you at OPC and to be able to preach like this to you. If it's not already obvious, it's not been clear that I am Mike Tufnell. I'm Chris's eldest brother and it is brilliant to have the opportunity to preach to you and correct some of his heresies that uh, no doubt he's been feeding you over the last few months. Good bit of uh, brotherly banter there. Might not be the last time. But it is uh, a privilege to be with you. I'm very grateful, actually, that Chris has trusted me to preach to you. And looking forward to sharing with you from the start of the book of Ezra. Ezra chapters 1 and 2 is where we're going to be um, looking at this morning. So do open that up in front of you if you haven't already. I expect the reading's been read. Uh, So Ezra chapter 1 and 2. And uh, we're going to be looking at the topic, I guess, of what can happen when God births a vision or what can happen when God is doing a new thing. And I know he's doing a new thing with you at OPC. He has been for a while, but I know you're also in the process over the next year or so of being of discerning vision together what God might be calling you to and clarifying around that. So I hope that this might be a timely message uh, for you guys. Now, I'm aware also, of course, um, that when God is doing a new thing, there's also a continuity from the past, just as for the people of God here. It's not that God was not sovereign and not involved in sending them into exile before this story of return begins at the start of Ezra. God was at work before exile, uh, during exile, and he's at work in this new chapter. I was, uh, before coming to where I am now, I was... Uh, part of a team that helped relaunch, reopen a church that had been closed for many years. I was profoundly aware that whilst God was doing a new thing with a new group of people, we were also standing on the shoulders of those who'd gone before, uh, on the, the spiritual foundations that they and their prayers and their work had laid before us. Uh, so it is with you at, APC, at OPC. Um, God is doing a new thing, but on the foundations of what came before. It's an exciting time, I think, to be in Utterbridge. Now, uh, as we start at the book of Ezra, I don't want to presume too much, but uh, uh, but of what has come before, what you know of what's come before. But the Israels were Israelites were exiled to Babylon about sort of 50, 50, 60 years, maybe 70 years, depending on the timings, uh, before this story picks up. They were exiled to Babylon. The the final people exiled from Jerusalem were exiled to Babylon. Uh, So a whole generation of people have grown up in Babylon. There will be a a few that remember life before in uh, Jerusalem, but not many. Uh, And at this point, God births fresh vision. And and the chain reaction of that is that it, it, it begins a movement, a whole people of God. And it begins the return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. It's a big vision. Here we are, though, in uh, the verse, first couple of uh, verses of uh, Ezra, if you follow along with me. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfil the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, the king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him in Judah, at Jerusalem in Judah. Now, pause here for just a second. God moves the heart of Cyrus. This is God planting a vision in the heart 
of a king who doesn't even worship him. He's not the Israelite king. He's not a follower of Yahweh, of God. You know, even when we can't see it, even in sometimes the most unlikely leaders and people, God is at work. The hidden hand of God is at work and his spirit is moving people as he moves this leader who doesn't even worship him to work for his purposes. And I don't know about you, but for me, there's a couple of quick lessons right there off the bat from these verses. First of all, whether they're Christian or not, let's not stop praying for our leaders in this nation, that their hearts might be moved by God for good and for his glory. Perhaps practical suggestion, perhaps the next time you're getting frustrated at the news, don't just get frustrated. Let it move your heart to pray for our nation and for our leaders, whether they're believers or not. Turn that frustration to prayer. Secondly, if God can move the heart of Cyrus to free his people, to help relaunch this vision, to um, restore, to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, then surely he can stir the heart of anyone. I wonder if there's anyone in your life who you've been praying for for years and seen nothing seemingly happen, or perhaps you've even given up praying for that person. Why don't you start praying again or redouble your prayers? Because God's answer to your prayers might be just around the corner. Lord, would you stir their hearts as you stirred the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia? Now, moving on, what happens is uh, when God moves a heart, he actually ends up moving far more than one heart. When God births a vision, he usually births it in others too, and a movement begins. So God births a vision and then a movement begins. Because a few verses later, glance down at verse five with me. God, the same spirit of God is moving the hearts of those people who he's calling to rebuild the temple. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. When God is doing something new, he tends to speak to more than one person. He moves the heart of more than one person. In fact, it's a very good way if, if God, you feel, is birthing a personal vision for you in your workplace, in your context, um, whether it be within the life of the church or in the rest of your Monday to Sunday living. A good way of discerning it is to share it with a few other godly people and see whether God might be stirring something similar in them or speaking to them in a similar way is is this just me or is it God at work speaking to his people so God moves the hearts not just of Cyrus but of many and a movement has begun I wonder what God might be saying to you at OPC too over the coming months and years I look forward to hearing about what he's doing but do remember that that God's vision is not just for the church, but for the world, for Uterbridge. He wants to see Uterbridge transformed. So the vision that God might be giving you might not be so much about life in the church, but the life of the church in the community. What might God be calling you to in your workplace, in Uterbridge, amongst your neighbours, at the school gate, and, of course, in church? Secondly, and crucially, 
God's vision is followed by God's provision. God's vision is followed by God's provision. Have a look at verses six and seven with me. All their neighbours assisted with them, assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the freewill offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Now, this is this is extraordinary. Do you see what's happening here? The movement is gathering pace. And this is another incredible example of this being a God thing that's happening. God provides for his vision. He provides practically, prophetically and symbolically. Follow along, I'll show you what I mean by that. Practically, his provision is practical. They're they're the resources and the cattle, the silver and gold that they will need for the journey home and to repopulate the land. The resources needed to start rebuilding the temple. And this is no small vision. And God, but God knows this. And God always will provide for what are his plans. His provision will always follow his vision. He provides practically. And if you follow the story, he continues to provide practically and abundantly. He provides prophetically. Quick point now, but it could easily be missed. Um, But it would have resonated for the people of God in the time. You see, all of these people kind of giving them uh, beyond the free will offerings, beyond the, um, uh, how does it put it, beyond... Uh, Yeah, the free will offerings. They're offered more than that by their neighbours. They're given silver and gold, goods and livestock. Now, for anyone like them who knew their history, when the people of God uh, left Egypt to travel to the promised land in the first place, the same thing happened. The Egyptians were plundered, so to speak. They they gave um, silver and gold and cattle as the people of God left God provided in that way and so as it's happening now you can just imagine the sages the older people in the community who told and told and retold those stories of ancient times that are gone this feels like God doesn't it did you remember when God provides practically he provides prophetically often the new things that God is doing have an echo of what he's done before they just sound like God do you know what I mean Then symbolically, all the articles and treasures and items used in in public worship of the old temple in Jerusalem, that continuity from the past, are returned to his people and will be restored to his temple. It's a wonderful thing. I I still remember, you apply this, think about this when you're thinking about Utebridge, but I remember at that church that I was part of before, St Albans in Acton Green, uh, before the first Sunday where we relaunched, or on that first Sunday, um, a lovely old lady came forward to me and and gave me this kneeling cushion. Nothing particularly dramatic or glamorous about this kneeling cushion. But then she proceeded to explain to me that her husband, who'd now gone to glory, used to be the church warden at that church. And this was his kneeling cushion. And I thought of the foundations that had gone before and the prayers that man had faithfully prayed as he served in that church family for so many years and I put that kneeling cushion right at the front of the stage below where I was about to preach from and cast fresh vision it was powerful to have that in that place to have the trust of the people that had gone before this this widow 
saying we are excited for the new things that God is doing. But it was powerful, it was symbolic, the old and the new that God was doing. Think what it would mean to the people of God, the priests, the Levites, to see those things that were in the temple being restored to them and to be in the rebuilt temple, the new things to come. It's powerful. So God provides practically, prophetically and symbolically. And you can see the applications for us, can't you? Uh, For you, can't you? If God births a vision and he is starting a new thing, and birthing vision amongst you, then he will provide for that vision, practically, prophetically, symbolically. And, and believe that he will provide abundantly. If it's God's vision, his provision always follows. And so don't settle for anything too small or too little. If God is birthing a vision, and and here in this passage, it's a big vision. It tends to be a big vision, bigger than our categories or our boxes. A former bishop of mine, who's now actually bishop near you in Nottingham, said that if vision doesn't inspire and terrify in equal measure, it's probably not of God. If it doesn't inspire and terrify in equal measure, of course we need prudence, of course we need wisdom. But vision, if it's from God, should be big. Let me ask you a a question, diagnostic question. In your life and discipleship, your following of Jesus, do you want to go for a high bar in your relationship with him or a low bar? The end of your life, what do you want to be able to say? That you set a high bar or a low bar? Over the next season at OPC, do you want to say as you look back in years to come, that you set a high bar or a low bar? I think you know the answer. If it's God's vision, his provision will follow. Yes, we need to be prudent. Yes, we need to be wise. But we also need the eyes of faith that that Caleb and Joshua, before going into the promised land, said, certainly we can do it. They weren't scared of the giants they had yet to face. So God births a vision, a movement begins where he births a vision, his provision follows in extraordinary ways. Uh, Lastly, for today and moving into chapter two, every person matters. Every person matters. Now, uh, if you read chapter two, if you were to read all of chapter two, you'll be grateful. We didn't have all of chapter two to read. There are a lot of names and there are a lot of numbers, a lot of names and a lot of numbers. But you can get lost in that. You could easily dismiss chapter two as just a list of names and numbers. But you'd miss a crucial point if you did. Because surely the truth underneath all of that is that every person matters. You see, if you read the reading, in fact, it's not just every person that matters, but it turns out every donkey and camel matters as well. Um, Have a look towards the end of the chapter, verses 64 to 67. The whole company numbered 42,360, besides their 
male and female slaves. They also had lots of male and female singers. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, and and it goes on, uh, 435 camels, 6,720 donkeys. That's a lot of donkeys. But crucially, someone counted the donkeys. Someone counted the camels. You know, in every church, you need the detail people. You need the treasurers and the safeguarders, the detail people who count the camels and the donkeys. (laughs) If you're one of those people, we need you. OPC needs you. Chris needs you. You're in the Bible. You're really important. Keep counting. (laughs) Um, The detail people matter as well as the big vision people. But you see, the story more seriously is that is that every person matters. If you look at the list of people that are returned, everyone is identified by their family, their name, their hometown, or by their gifting or their calling. You too, OPC. Every person matters. You matter. Your vision, your shape, your calling, your gifting matters. Your history, your story, weaved into God's story now at OPC, matters. Whether you were here before Chris arrived, bless you. Whether you've arrived since Chris came along, whether you came with the the grafting team, bless you. Well done. What a step of faith. (laughs) Or whether you've joined since. You matter. Your vision, your shape, your calling, your gifting, your prayers, everything that you can give matters. God is doing a new thing. We have the, if you follow in the reading, we have the priests who will lead the people of God in worship, in preaching God's truth. But you could apply that to young and old, to the kids, children's workers. For that matter, for everyone taking responsibility for, for leading others in the word of God in their homes in small groups. You have the temple gatekeepers listed and mentioned in the reading. Uh, Perhaps that's the the welcome team at your church, the host team, the hospitality team. We have temple servants mentioned in their own category. Perhaps the equivalent today is the PA or AV or live streaming team. Perhaps it's the PCC. Um, uh, You guys are important. You matter. We even have mentioned the worship leaders and the singers. Even you are important. Every person matters. And we have thousands of people mentioned actually in the scriptures who don't have a particular role like that within the church. We have, but but they matter. They're mentioned as people who, um, you know, the, the teachers, the farmers, the key workers, the artists, the social media influencers in Uterbridge. Every person matters. And everything has, everyone has something to bring. Look at verse 69 at the end of the reading. According to their ability, they gave into the treasury. Own the vision. Give whatever you can to the vision at OPC. The amount you give, according to their ability, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. What matters is that your heart is in it. In fact, if your heart's not in it, don't give. That's what I say to my church. If you're not giving out an overflow of all that God has given you, if you're not giving with joy, then I don't want your money. Because God doesn't need it. He wants your heart. If he gets your heart, he'll get your wallet. But every person gave according to their ability to God's vision. Every person matters. Everybody serving, everybody involved, every gift, every person matters. You matter to the vision at OPC in the coming years. But you know what? Coming back down, so to speak, um, There's another really important thing that needs to be said before we finish. 
And this could be crucial for you at OPC. It's not just every person matters, but how you journey matters. How you journey matters. You see, for these Israelites, this these chapters actually are just the start of a very long journey. I mean, imagine there's tens of thousands of people journeying months, months of journey. It's at least eight, nine month journey for the people of God through the desert. Imagine that journey, homeward bound at last, free at last, but also carrying a lot of baggage and probably some wounds from the years in exile. They're probably, some of them at least, a bit battered and bruised emotionally, physically, spiritually by that time. And they've got a desert to travel through to get home. You you see, some of you, some of the Israelites might be full of energy and vision and excitement for the rebuilding of the temple, even after a year in lockdown and set more than a year in lockdown and, and being socially distanced, isolated. Some of you might be really excited at the new things that God is doing and the, the early adopters uh, leading from the front, so to speak. But I imagine then as now, there are also people somewhere in the middle And some people who, spiritually speaking, are having to be carried home. I wonder where you are at. You see, some people, they might not be at the back because they don't want to be on board, like, and leading from the front, but because also because they just, they feel like just being realistic. They know, and they're right, that this is a long-term vision. This is going to take years. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take everything that they've got, everything they give spiritually, in prayers, in service, in financial giving. It's going to take a lot. They know that they're going to be obstacles to overcome for them and the church family in the future. They knew that there'd be problems ahead and so they're a little slower to adopt this vision. That's fine. Some will be leading the charge. Some will be somewhere in the middle. Some will be cautious at the back for one reason or another or because they've been battered or bruised by the last 15 months or so. How you journey at OPC really matters. You see, imagine the scene. It might have been rather chaotic, but imagine the scene as you would like it to be as you journey into God's new thing for you. How are you feeling? Where would you be in that crowd? Can you see others who are struggling more than you? Imagine the scene as they they minister to one another, as they pray and encourage one another, as they share their stories of the past and occasionally with tears, but also their hopes and dreams for the future. If you're struggling a bit, don't think that the people who are leading from the front and full of vision don't care for you. I'm sure that they do. But we we need people, don't we? Full of vision and energy, leading from the front, saying surely it can be done. If you're one of those ones leading from the front, have compassion and love for those who, for whatever reason, might be struggling a little. Take time to, to listen to their story with grace. How we journey matters, whether we're crying or whether we're laughing at the moment whether we're full of joy or carrying burdens. How you journey matters. And so I urge you to travel well. 
to travel with grace, with love, compassion, with courage and vision, encouraging one another on to love and good deeds, but also bearing with one another's burdens. Have grace particularly for perhaps for my brother and some of the leaders in the church who, who will need to simultaneously lead and cast vision for the future. That doesn't mean that he and others don't care for you if you're struggling. But understand to have grace for one another on the journey. Keep singing the songs that stir faith and turn your eyes back to Jesus. So I hope you can see from chapter two, every person matters. Don't dismiss this as a chapter of names and numbers. Every person matters. You matter. How you journey in this season matters. So as I finish, as I close, God is clearly doing exciting new things up in Uterbridge. In Sheffield, for that matter. I've got another brother-in-law elsewhere in Sheffield. But God is doing a new thing. Uh, some continuity from the past, no doubt, but a new thing. And an exciting new thing. Of course he's doing a new thing. I mean, and an exciting new thing. You've got Chris as your vicar and for all the banter that goes before, um, you've done well. He's an amazing young church leader who I look up to in many ways. God has blessed you with him and Becky and the family. But, you know, just as just as amazing as Chris is, I also know he gave him an even more amazing wife. <laughs> and I know that he's given him an amazing church full of faithful and generous and courageous, faith-filled people. That's you. So I want to encourage you to go for it. God is doing a new thing. He's birthing a vision. He started a movement up there. Every person matters. You matter. And how you journey matters. May God be with you and bless you abundantly. I can't wait to hear, even if from a distance, of all that God will do in and through you in the coming months and years ahead. God bless.